Hey all, this is Sean Gerber. Thank you for listening today, but before we get started, I have a couple of questions for you. Are you caught in the daunting maze of CISSP preparation, unable to find your way forward? That's precisely where I found myself when I began studying for the CISSP. Overwhelmed would be an understatement. There are now an ocean of CISSP training programs available, and are you unsure which ones to trust? I remember the struggle, but there was nothing accessible to me outside of the pricey boot camps. And that's precisely why CISSP Cyber Training came into existence, to illuminate your pathway towards acing the CISSP exam. At CISSP Cyber Training, I've forged the CISSP blueprint into a step-by-step guide to navigate you through the intricacies of the CISSP journey designed to provide you the direction and guidance you need to pass the CISSP exam confidently. But don't just take my word for it. Listen to what one of my students, Kevin Fallon, had to say about the CISSP blueprint. This is precisely what I needed in your course, direction. The blueprint is the perfect roadmap to stay on track. I appreciate its clarity and tangible sense of progress it brings. A phenomenal tool for revision. And then there was another from Christopher Wagstaff. Sean Gerber, your guidance was invaluable throughout the CISSP study and certification process. Thank you for breaking the monotony. Once you've wrapped up with the podcast, make your next stop, CISSPCybertraining.com, and let's together turn the tide in your favor, meeting your CISSP goals and catapulting your career in cybersecurity. Now, without further ado, let's get going. Giddy up. Welcome to the Reduced Cyber Risk Podcast, episode 86 information classification in six easy steps. Welcome to the Reduced Cyber Risk Podcast, where we provide you the training and tools you need to pass the CISSP exam while enhancing your cybersecurity career. Hi, my name is Sean Gerber, and I'm your host for this action-packed, informative podcast. Join me each week as I provide the information you need to grow your cybersecurity knowledge so that you're better prepared to pass the CISSP exam. All right, let's get going. Hey, all good morning. Hope everybody's doing well this beautiful day. And uh, it's now, what is it, March? Yeah, it's the end of March. Things are wonderful here in Wichita, Kansas, in the center of the United States, as we are fighting this coronavirus as it's coming out on both sides of the coast and it's, it's working its way into the Midwest. So we're kind of prepping for that right now. I know the world right now is going through a lot of change. I know just from a week ago, from when I last recorded this podcast, uh, the world seems to have turned upside down. Uh, it is absolutely crazy how much has changed from global economies to just the pandemic passing around throughout the world. Uh, we can only hope and pray that this will be ending soon, or at least if it does end here within the next month or two, it doesn't come back for round two. So I know a lot of people out there are hurting. Italy and, and China are just ta- have taken a beating. Italy right now is just getting pummeled. Uh, so, yeah, it's, we can only hope and pray that this was going to move on and get out of here quickly. So uh, it's just just it's changed. The world has changed dramatically. 
And if you're studying for your CISSP as you are trying to plan for uh, your cybersecurity career, the good positive news is, is even though with the economic times and how much has changed, uh, the cybersecurity roles and jobs will be available out there. They just may be a little fewer, but they are going to be there because in this world that we live in, uh, you have to have these capabilities. So uh, it's important that you're studying for your CISSP and you can get your cybersecurity career moving forward. Uh, so today we're going to talk about information classification in six easy steps. Now, the other thing I want to talk about around this is you're going to start seeing the, the podcast. I'm going to put them in a little bit shorter format uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I'm putting these out on uh, YouTube as well because of the simple fact that now that people are more working from home, the I've noticed my numbers have dropped off and I assume that it's because people aren't commuting to work listening to the podcast. So we're going to have those still available, obviously, on the on Libsyn and the different audio formats that are available. However, uh, they will be a little bit shorter in content because people are probably watching these on video because they're at home. So something to consider around that. Okay, so we'll get started here real quick. The uh, There's six steps, classification steps for information security. Um, and these information classification in, in six easy steps comes from a white paper from sans.org. That's Sierra Alpha November Sierra.org. And uh, it's by a, gentleman, gentleman, by a young lady by the name of Sue Fowler, and she had brought this together. And she'd done this white paper as it's kind of a research cap capability. And to be honest, the people that are there on SANS putting out white papers are like 10 gazillion times smarter than me. So I highly recommend you go check it out. It's a good white paper. It's really kind of gets to the point. And so we're going to talk about these six steps when you're looking to implement a information classification program. So when, you, when you're talking about information classification, it can be very different depending upon the organization that you do or that you work for. Uh, it could be very strict or it could be very broad. Now, if you're in the military, it's very strict from the classifications of unclassified, secret, top secret, and then compartmentalized classifications. Whereas you get to a company, it could be everything's business continental or continental, confidential, or everything is uh, just out in the open or they could have a subset of the others uh, so it just kind of depends upon whatever your business needs are so that keep that in mind is that wherever organization you go for they go to they may have their own set up already now as a security professional you may have some influence in guiding them in a different direction or in a very in a subtly uh, similar direction just kind of depends upon you and what you bring to the table for them and what they've currently got in place you'll probably find out that most companies do not have a good information security classification program in place because it's a lot of work and they don't have anybody that really will drive it to completion so keep that in mind there might be some compliance requirements around doing a security uh, governance or security governance but a security classification piece and you'll have to get aware of those as well if you have that in your uh, environment Okay, so step one that Sue had brought out was identify all information sources that need to be protected. Okay, it sounds simple. Uh, one thing you're going to find out with determining some of these information sources is that as you peel back the layers of the onion, you may find a lot more data that you weren't aware of. And so that can add complexity. So go into this attitude of you need to have as much information as you possibly can gather where the information sources are at. However, keep in your mind you want to keep it simple because it'll very quickly overwhelm you if you're trying to get everything and then trying to protect everything. 
So you want to gather it all, gather all the information you can, uh, and have that detailed out, but then knowing full well that you're going to start small and only start protecting certain aspects of it. Because if you if you do try to bite off too much of this, it will it will confound you, it will frustrate you, and it'll frustrate the people you're working for. Uh, you, one of the things that you can do to get this information, that she recommends, is doing uh, interviews with people. I recommend that. Uh, you will actually have to schedule some interviews. It does take time, so that's the downside of that. Uh, and it does have, it can be fruitful. In some cases, it cannot be fruitful. But what you'll want to do is understand as you dig deeper and ask some key questions. And I would start with just a few questions that you asked during this interview process. Do not go with a bunch, a laundry list of questions. Just a few key ones that you will stay consistent as you're interviewing these individuals. And some of those questions could be, do you know where your data is located? Do you know the sensitivity of your data? Do you know what data is your most sensitive data? And, and if you started with a couple of those questions like that, then that will ask, that will, you'll get some follow-on questions that will, that will uh, spurn from that. But the main point is to find out, do you know what is your most sensitive data? Do you know where it's located? Do you have any regulatory requirements that require you to add special protections to this data? You know, something like that. But again, keep it simple. So as you go into that, you'll realize real quick, there's more areas that you will need to protect. And then you will then annotate those on your work or on the overall data flows or data where the data is actually located. So again, just start small. Don't go big. It, you, you can get very quickly overwhelmed. I'm stressing that because I've done that and it's very painful. And then you realize you have to take a step back going, okay, this is too much. It's too much for me. It's too much for the people I'm working for. Uh, so yeah, let's just start small. Step two is identify information protection measures that map to information classes. Uh, this can help with your information protection goals. Um, and so you want to map things back to it. So if you go, I've got um, some protection measures. I've, I can protect it super high. All my information I've got can put in buckets that are still protected super well. Okay. Those are big $3 words. Actually, super well. That's not probably a really good sentence. But anyway, you have, you have ways that protect your data in a very good manner, right? And you have other ways that are maybe not so good. So if you break it into maybe two, possibly three buckets of where you're going to protect your information, and I would probably start with two initially, is going, I got to protect this with the highest level and this I'm not so worried about. Uh, then that real quickly will, will, you can start putting the data into these buckets. Now, the thing you're going to have to be very careful of is that you don't all of a sudden start putting everything into one into the protect bucket. That's, that's not going to work. So you're going to want to make sure that if you do only two specific areas that you are very stringent on what and criteria is defined very well on what you put into the more the more protective bucket. Because if you don't, you will then have, before you know it, everything will be in the protected bucket. And you've, you've basically got to start all over again. So the, just a piece of advice on that one. Now, you also need to ask yourself, are there any regulatory or legal requirements for you to consider? Uh, some common industry-recognized information protection measures are highlighted that she has in the paper. But you need to find out, do you have any requirements that are forcing you to define a very specific information security program? Uh, you also need to determine how you're going to authenticate and protect this information. Uh, do you have a, uh, a certain way that that would be done? Is that single sign-on? Is that a password, username and password? Um, is it going to be biometrics have to be able to get access to this data? So you have to define what 
is the access requirements around the specific data itself, and that would be the authentication methods. Uh, do you gonna, are you going to define role-based authentication to be able to access this data? Those are other key aspects you need to look at as you're building out your security program and you're doing security classification. Step three, you need to identify information classes and information class labels. And this is your labels I talked about where you have maybe uh, business confidential, you have, uh, I don't know, you have a high, high confidential, you have low confidential, you have whatever your label for your data is going to be. Again, I would only do a couple labels to start off with. Now, the downside of that is, is if whatever you come up with may get ingrained and it's hard to migrate from those labels. The challenge is if you start off with 10 different labels, what's going to happen, most people are going to gravitate to one or two. So I would just go with two, three tops and uh, determine where you want to put the data. But then again, define very strict criteria on what you are going to put in each of those buckets. Again, those, those are important things because at critical or sensitive data, if from a person who's working on this information, so if I have a label that says critical, and then I have a label that says sensitive, and I am work, I'm just an accountant working on this information, and I don't know which is critical and which is sensitive, I will then probably move it towards either saying, you know what, nothing's critical, it's all sensitive, or I'll move everything to critical and say, well, it's all super important to our company, so it's got to be the critical terms, got to be where it has to go. So again, define the expectations around that information. Step four, map the information protection measures to the information classes. So again, you have your protections of whatever role-based authentication you may have, and then you would then map that to your labels to ensure that that is protected. Um, and again, these are, again, start simple. Do not go complicated at all. Step five is classify information, labels, and the protection measures. Basically, they are mapped together, and then they're applied to the actual sources. So now your step five is you've, you've determined the labels, you've determined where they're mapped to, you now are actually implementing this into your environment. The challenge with that is it's going to take some time. Have a good plan on how you're going to start off. Also, make sure you have communicated well with everybody. So these are steps are simple, but you got to make sure that you are communicating and over-communicating to the shareholders within your organization. If you don't do that, what will end up happening is, is that people will not gravitate towards us. They will not do it. They will stay away from it. Uh, so communication is vitally important. Uh, step six, repeat as needed, uh, where there's an iterative process and adjusting the classes, you need to make sure that you just start over, rinse and repeat. So you, you go through this and you find more data. What you'll do then is you'll map that data. You'll, you'll annotate it. You'll then determine which bucket it should go into. You then, from that point, will we'll start rolling out to the, the IP owners or the, the data owners of that information to find out, okay, I want to add your classification label to this. Then you start communicating that to the people that will be utilizing that. And then from there, you will roll it out to the actual uh, your company. So there's it's it's very simple process, but there's a lot of communication that will go into this. As a security professional, you will realize more than anything that you have to communicate with your individual businesses and understanding how information classification will be put in place within your organization. All right, so that's the step one through six. That's from Sue Fowler, and this is at the SANS Reading Room. It's sans.org. Again, the link will be in the show notes. All right, so I'm going to quickly roll into some questions, some CISSP questions, and we will go from there. All right, question number one. Which of the following is something that should be required of an on-site backup facility that stores backed-up media for companies? A, 
The facility should be within 10 to 15 minutes of the original facility to ensure easy access. B. The facility should contain all the necessary PCs and servers and should have a raised flooring. So basically, it's, so there's a gap underneath the floor. C. The facility should be protected by an armed guard. D. The facility should protect against unauthorized access and entry. Okay, so which of the following is something that should be required of an on-site backup facility that stores backed-up media for companies? The facility should be with 10 to 15 minutes from the original facility. Probably a bad idea. The facility should contain all the necessary PCs and servers and should have raised flooring. Again, we're just talking about backup. The facility should be protected by an armed guard. Which is, again, I'm just talking about backups. The facility should be protected against unauthorized access and entry. The answer is D. All it should really need is just to make sure that it's protected so that someone doesn't come in and take your stuff. That's realistically. You don't need armed guards and it doesn't need to have raised flooring because it's just your backups. So the answer is D. Question two. Which of the following or which item will a business impact analysis not identify? A. Whether, whether a company is best suited for a parallel or full interrupted test. B. What areas would suffer the greatest operational and financial loss in the event of a particular disaster or disruption? C. What systems are critical for the company and must be highly protected? D. What amount of outage time a company can endure before it's permanently crippled? Okay, so which, of the, which item will a business impact analysis not identify? Whether the company is best suited for parallel or full interrupt test? What areas would suffer the greatest operational and financial loss in the event of a particular disaster or disruption? C. What systems are critical for the company and must be highly protected? D. What amount of outage time a company can endure before it is permanently crippled? And the answer is A. All the other systems address the main components of a business impact analysis. So basically, the, where the company will be best suited for a parallel or full interrupt test. That is which item the business impact analysis did not identify. So you, gotta, you have to do that yourself. So basically, it comes down to is do, all of those pieces are part of the BIA, the B, C, and D. But A, you have to decide whether it's going to be a parallel or full interrupt test. And a parallel basically means you'd be doing the test in parallel with your operations. A full interrupt test means you would actually interrupt your operations completely. Which areas of a company are recovery plans recommended for? A, the most important operational and financial areas. B, the areas that house the critical systems. C, all areas. Or D, the areas that a company cannot survive without. Okay, so which of a company, which areas of a company are recovery plans recommended for? A, the most important operational and financial areas. B, the areas that house the critical systems. C, all areas. D, the areas that a company cannot survive without. And the answer is C. It is the area, basically all areas. So it's best if every department within the company has its own contingency plan and procedures in place. The individual plans would roll up into an overall enterprise business continuity plan. I will tell you right now, with everything going on in Corona, People are looking hard at their BCPs. They really are. So it's important to have a good business continuity plan in place and operational. All right. I hope you all had a wonderful day. You hang, hang on in there. 
keep going with the old coronavirus. Just do your best. Stay safe as best you can. And keep listening to uh, Reduce Cyber's podcast. And you can go to SeanGerber.com. That's S-H-O-N-G-E-R-B-E-R.com. And check out all the free stuff that's available to you. Sign up for my newsletter. And we can be sending you some more information around your CISSP. All right. Have a great day. And we'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for joining me today on my podcast. Head over to SeanGerber.com and look at all the free content that I have available for you. There is a CISSP mini course, free CISSP exam questions, podcasts, and so much more. It's all available to my email subscribers, so sign up. If you want my personalized CISSP training, purchase my training courses, and I'll be there to help you with your CISSP needs so you can pass the test the first time. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. See ya. Thanks so much for listening today as it was my pleasure to prep you for the CISSP exam. But are you interested in some free CISSP exam questions? Head on over to CISSPQuestions.com and sign up to join my email list and you will gain access to 30 free CISSP questions each and every month. That's a total of 360 questions just for signing up with CISSP Cyber Training. You will also gain access to other free resources, so just head on over to FreeCISSPQuestions.com or CISSPCyberTraining.com and sign up today. All right, have a wonderful day, and we'll catch you on the flip side. See you.